What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each. When you buy four, look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey. Today, we're going to be talking some Chicago Bulls basketball. They're a pretty interesting team during the offseason simply because there's been a lot of change, but there also hasn't. They're going into this next season with a roster that's pretty similar across the board. All the same pieces are returning, a lot of young guys who should develop. But there's going to be a total identity shift because Tom Thibodeau is gone, and in his place is Fred Hoiberg. So, Andy... Thoughts on the coaching change? Yeah, I actually love the way you framed that. Um, I haven't really thought of it in that sense. Why do you sound so surprised? Like, you can't frame <laughs> stuff good. I didn't mean it that way, and Adam knows that. So you butt out, Dan. Um, <laughs> yeah, the roster is pretty much the same, but it's it really is going to be a completely different system, and I love the coach. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each. When you buy four, look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. ...change because I think there are some guys on the roster who weren't, in my opinion, used the way they should have been, at least offensively, by Thibodeau. Um, so I'm really excited to see if Doug McDermott maybe has a little bit more um, than he showed as a rookie. I'm excited to see if Miritich will be used a little bit differently. Um, I don't want to see Miritich playing as much small forward, for example, as he did under Thibodeau. Um, I'm excited to see how he'll use Pau Gasol, Derek Rose. It's just it's definitely going to be a lot different um, offensively. Yeah, I I do question whether Derrick Rose is going to thrive in this system. I know over the offseason, a lot of people have gotten back to wondering, is this the old Derrick Rose again, sort of like has been happening for the past few years? But you, there comes a point where he's already not himself, or at least what he was. And now you're going to throw him into this system, and he's not really a system point guard. I, I know there'll be sets for him to sort of run isolations and attack the basket, but he will need to play off the ball a lot more. And I'm just not sure he's capable of doing that because his jumper is still so rocky. And we don't know if Jimmy Butler will let him because Butler fancies himself a point guard, it seems, as we read. But 
I am excited about what Hoiberg can do with the rest of the roster mostly. It's like Andy said with Miritich, he shouldn't be playing the three at all. I'm wondering if maybe we'll even be see him play some five. Mostly, Hopefully he'll play mostly power forward, but maybe he'll play some five. Uh, will Doug McDermott do more? Maybe he'll get to see some more time at the four as well. You do need to figure out what's going up with Gibson, Noah, and Pal Gasol. That will be an issue. I think you need to trade one of them, maybe two of them. But I'm excited for what Hoiberg could do because I love his offense, and I think it will translate to the NBA really well. Man, you brought up a lot of points there, a lot of good ones. But I want to I circle back to Derrick Rose for a little bit because he's been sort of the linchpin of the team for the last couple of years, or at least he was supposed to be. You know, We seem to go into every season saying that if Rose is back to his MVP form, this is a championship contender. If he's not, they're going to fall short of that ceiling. And for the first time in a while, it seems like even though there's still some lingering hope that he could get back to that form, maybe, he doesn't need to. You know, because this, this offensive system does allow everybody else to shine, and it's going to ask him to play off the ball more and use those, those wing cuts off the screens to attack the basket like Hoiberg did at Iowa State for so long. And if he really accepts that role, then maybe their ceiling's even higher if he takes more of a backseat. But it's so tough for an alpha dog that spent so much time in that position to, to willingly take a backseat to an up-and-coming player like Jimmy Butler. So that, that relationship's going to be really interesting. We've heard rumors of rifts between the two. None of them have proved to be substantiated in, in really any manner. Um, but the chemistry is going to be interesting both on and off the court. And for some reason, Rose has now reached the point in his career pretty early on where he has to be marginalized probably in order for them to succeed the most. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting you bring up Jimmy Butler. And we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, there could be a little bit of an adjustment between those two. Butler, I think it was on ChicagoBulls.com, was talking about how he views himself as a point guard now, and he talked about he's been working on floaters, high pick and rolls, ball handling, um, typical point guard skills. So at least in his mind, he's definitely going to be taking uh, a lot more possessions. And I'm like, Dan, I'm not sold on Derrick Rose as an off-the-ball option. Um, his shooting has never, I mean, every summer we hear Derrick Rose has been working on his three-point shot, and it's going to be better this year, but that's never really come to fruition. Um, the one silver lining I can think of on that is DeAndre Kane, who Hoiberg had at Iowa State. His efficiency and his shooting numbers skyrocketed when he transferred from Marshall to Iowa State under Hoiberg. And I don't know how much of that was Hoiberg's influence and Hoiberg's offense, but at least there is some precedent there. Um, I think he's a good enough coach to figure out how to make it work and make all the pieces fit together, but there are certainly questions at this point. Yeah, and... I totally agree with you there. The the biggest thing for me with this team, I guess, I'm stuck on that front court trio of Gibson, Noah, and Pau Gasol. I think that needs to be broken up for this offense to really reach its peak. But the Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler thing is is disconcerting to me, not necessarily because maybe there is a rift. I think we oftentimes blow things out of a portion because we're bored or because quotes, perhaps like this one, are taken out of context. I mean, he didn't really say Derrick Rose was useless. But in Hoiberg's offense, there really is a need for a point forward, so to speak. You wouldn't call him the point guard, but you would call him the point forward because he likes to work with his floor general off the ball. And that's where Derrick Rose is really going to need to step up. And it's like Andy said, we always hear he's working on his jump shots, but the results are never really too evident or too marketed. And then it's like Adam said before, 
he has to, in essence, be marginalized for this team to reach its ceiling. And while he's a veteran in this league, we kind of forget that after all he's been through, he's still only 26. He's going to be 27 when the season tips off. Are you willing to make that sacrifice for, for someone else who you were above for a few years ago? And it's just this is such a bizarre situation because I think a lot of what the Bulls need to do come down comes down to Derrick Rose finally accepting that not only is he not going to be the player he once was, but the Bulls don't need him or want him to be that player anymore. I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, but I really want Rose to just become 2010-2011 Dwayne Wade. You know, the guy who's viewed himself as a superstar and alpha dog for so long, but now LeBron is coming to town, and in this case, I guess we're calling Jimmy Butler LeBron, and he has to take more of a backseat and, and change his role on the team. And, you know, in a lot of ways, he has the skill set to play a lot like Wade did in that situation, really thrive as a slasher, develop some of those crafty up fakes that, that Wade uses so well, and, and make the most of his skill set at this stage of his career. But not only that, but also adapt to what his team needs him to do. And, and we saw that with the Heat in 2011 when they struggled against Dallas and really spent that whole season trying to figure out who they were. And as soon as they stopped playing my possession, your possession, my possession, your possession, that's when they really took off. I, re- I like that Dwayne Wade comparison. I think you have that, as do uh, I. before. Um, one thing, I don't know if it exactly started with the Spurs, but I know the Spurs kind of popularized it, um, is moving before the catch where – you basically know what you're going to do before you get the ball and you can confet, you can catch the closing out defender off guard. I think that's something that Derrick Rose could be really good at. Um, he's not quite as explosive as he was before all the injuries. We don't need to beat that dead horse. Um, but if he's smart and if he if he's thinking two or three steps ahead on the offense and he starts making his move before the ball even gets there, he can still beat um, ones and twos or whoever's going to be guarding him and get into the lane. Uh, where he's a crafty finisher, as we know, and he's you know still very willing to you know drop it off to Gasol or Noah or whatever big man might be available after the help comes over. So, I I really like the idea of him being able to do that, go and catch, um, drive off the ball, maybe playing off a of Butler or whoever else is handling the ball. <coughs> yeah, <coughs> excuse me. At, I love like I guess at, that took you by surprise. <laughs> uh, yeah, Andy's answer was so good that I'm still shocked. But Adam hit it right on the head, and I, I don't really want to toe around too much with what he said. But Dwayne Wade's probably a good comparison. It was rocky at first, but at this point, it really shouldn't be as rocky for the Bulls. I, I know Derek Rose is learning a new system, but he's played with Jimmy Butler now for at least a full year. I know they hadn't spent a lot of time together before last season, but he should be acclimated to the way Jimmy Butler plays. He should understand that Butler is... Uh, the the alpha dog in this situation now and hopefully he's willing to take that step back or or at least just adapt to the system and I don't want to call him a complimentary role player but just be someone who can anticipate what the defense is going to do and just score off the catch a little bit more or even just score by slashing to the basket more not necessarily being the dive guy but just going off screens or just losing his man off backdoor cuts but what Andy also touched on and is a big thing for me is that front court situation I want to see McDermott and Miritich, and maybe even Bobby Portis get a lot of playing time in this system because I think while the Bulls are a win-now team, years down the line, these guys could be really good in an offensive system like this, and they're way more versatile in terms of scoring than any of the other three in Gibson, Gasol, and Noah. I know those guys, especially Gasol and Noah, are a little bit better passers, 
better defenders with the exception of Gasol. But I, I want to see these guys get burned, and I don't think you can do that with all three of Gasol, Gibson, and Noah there. I think at least one of them should go. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It's it's a weird mix in the front court just because there are so many pieces and all of them bring some pretty unique things to the table. I mean, we've got Pau Gasol. We know what he's going to do with those free throw line and elbow jumpers and the pretty immobile defense. Miritich is such a good creator. Gibson's the defender and rim protector. Noah's the more versatile defender who can kind of run a fast break when he pulls down a rebound. And we don't really know what Bobby Portis brings to the table yet, but he probably profiles as a bit of a stretch four early on. So... You have a lot of different pieces. You can't use them all. There aren't enough minutes to give out. I mean, are we going to see Portis in the D-League for a lot of the season until they make a trade or if they make a trade at all? I think, yeah, Portis could spend some time in the D-League. And it is, it's a logjam. Adam or Dan mentioned three guys, Miritich, McDermott, and Portis, all of whom are probably fours. I know they might try to play Mir- or McDermott at the three to kind of relieve some of that. But I think he's more of a four. Um, and then you have the established guys, um, Gibson, Noah, and Gasol. It just seems like at least one or two of these guys has to be the odd man out. And I don't know if that means trade. I don't know if that means sacrificing minutes. Um, in my mind, it might be Joe Kim Noah, which might surprise a lot of Bulls fans because he's, he, you know, he has been the Bulls for so many years. But I think Noah can do a lot of what, or I think Gasol can do a lot of what Noah does offensively. He's not quite the same um, defender, but he's a great passer on offense. And I think you need a four who can stretch the floor. So I don't, they'll probably start with, with Noah and Gasol as the front court again, but I just don't really like the way those two fit together. We've actually heard some rumors so far that say that Noah could move to the bench early in the season, um, especially as he tries to get back to 100% from the knee problems that plagued him throughout last year. Mm -hmm. I really like that. You know, I I still think he can have a place on this team because he's such a unique talent, but I would love if Hoiberg just went small ball right off the bat. You know, Thibodeau would never do that because of that pack the paint defense and he needed the big bodies. But, you know, this team really has the tools. I mean, we haven't even mentioned guys like Tony Snell yet. Mike Dunleavy, one of the best catch-and-shoot and pull-up shooters in the league. Yeah. You know, so let's get all those pieces on the court. Let's, let's run things quickly, use a lot of screens, especially on the wings, and, and just get things going. And you, you can really achieve that more easily if Noah is on the bench and kind of used as a situational rim protector. I agree with pretty much everything you just said there. I'm just not sure if I want Noah to be the guy that comes off the bench. You want something defensively at the five if you're going to run small. And if you start Pau Gasol at the five, not only do you not have a rim protector, but you have Jimmy Butler and Mike Dunleavy's okay, but you know he's older now. He's going to why be can't you start? Why, why can't you put Taj Gibson there? In that you're room? not bringing Pau Gasol and Joe Kim Noah off the bench. It's just both of them. That's just not happening. I think it should be Gasol that comes off the bench. It, it could definitely work with Gibson at the five, but are you going to bring both Noah and Pau Gasol off the bench? I don't no, think I'm that saying happens. play Pau and Taj together. That's not really small ball because neither Powell nor Taj can space the floor enough. I, I like what you said, but I guess I was misinterpreting where I think you should run with preferably Noah at center or if you want to say Gibson at center and surround those guys with four actual shooters. Uh, that's my problem with the front court is I don't think you should be, especially in Hoiberg's system, running Powell, Gasol, Gibson, and Noah together two at a time. I just don't think it should happen. And that's where they'll probably have to break it up. I don't want to say it's irresponsible to have this many assets, especially with Noah approaching free agency. Uh, Gibson's going to be on the wrong side of 30. Pau Gasol's contract 
uh, it doesn't go through much longer. I think it's up not this season, but next season, and that season might even be not guaranteed. So I get why they have all these absences, but it seems like they need to break it up and consolidate them in some way in my mind because this team really needs to play small from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, and that's I guess it's just going to be up to Hoiberg to find whatever that balance is. Like, do you sacrifice the size defensively so you can be better offensively, or do you sacrifice the versatility and the shooting offensively so you can be better defensively? It's it's a tough um, balancing act. If it was me, I would, you know, I would probably go Gasol and Miritich at the four and the five, and maybe just have kind of a quick hook for Gasol. Um, he, I mean, he blocks shots, but he, like somebody said earlier, he's not very mobile. Um, so he is going to give up some stuff inside. I think with that Miritich Gasol front line, though, you can you can run a lot more offensively, um, and also that lineup opens up things for the other guys that we talked about, like Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler. If Miritich is out at the three point line and Dunleavy's out at the three point line, there's going to be more driving lanes for those other guys. Um, so like I said, maybe you do those two and you just kind of have a quick hook with Gibson or Noah. Um, I think it's good and bad that they have all these big guys. Like it's going to be hard to find minutes for everybody, but at the same time you can do a lot of different things with it. You might also need to do a lot of different things. Like just sort of, we were talking about before because everyone's situation is so up in the air just because Taj Gibson only has two years left on his deal. He's coming off semi-major surgery. Noah's going to be a free agent. Pau Gasol is going to be a free agent soon, and he's getting older. So I guess in their eyes, they have a bunch of insurance policies. They're also a team that needs to win now, irrespective of what Hoiberg's stance might be. This, they're not really conducive to bringing along these younger guys. We're talking about Bobby Porter's probably spending a lot of time in the D-League, and even if he doesn't, can you really justify giving him heavy minutes when the Eastern Conference below the Cavaliers is still so wide open? And you can't. So having these assets might might be necessary in their mind, but definitely by midseason, leading up to that February trade deadline, you would hope that they sort of have a long-term plan ironed out with a better grasp on the immediate pitcher so that they can break up this logjam and do not only what's best for these players, but really what's best for their team, both in the short and long term. I don't really have that much of an issue with the logjam. I, I do in some other situations, but I like that for the first time in a while, it seems like there's actually a possibility of, of doing different things depending on matchups that Thibodeau was never really able or willing to do and that Hoiberg presumably will be. I also am not that concerned about chemistry issues here. Joachim Noah has always struck me as kind of a consummate professional. He might say some things and, and get irritated emotionally, but... It, he, he's always willing to sacrifice for his team, and I, I would be willing to bet that that does extend to his playing time uh, this season. I mean, we, we know at this point who he is. He doesn't really have to prove himself to to too much of an extent. Um, plus, I mean, this team has dealt with a lot of chemistry issues in the past. You know, even if the, those rumored rifts between Rose and Butler never really came to fruition, they've they've had to deal with Thibodeau and and the front office being at ends forever. You know, so they're used to having to put aside the petty indifferences and go out and play quality basketball and just put all the distractions aside. So you know, if there's a team that's set up to overcome a logjam, I, I think it could be this one. Yeah, I think having a lot of veterans on there who understand the ins and outs of the game will help with that. Like Noah and Gasol, I think, had a hard time coming off the bench in L.A., but he's older now and this is a different situation, so he might he might take it a little better than he did with the Lakers. Um 
unless Dan has anything else to add to that, I kind of want to shift gears. Um, what do you guys think? This is just a question from me to you. Um, are you still high on Doug McDermott at all, or were you ever high on him? What do you What do you think about his chances with Hoiberg? I think they're great. I mean, he still exhibits a gravitational pull. You know, it's only summer league, but we see that when he steps onto the court, defenses are going to pay attention to him. It's not like scoring talent like he had at Creighton is just going to evaporate overnight. You know, he can put the ball in the basket in a lot of different ways, and he's never going to be a, a flat-out superstar like he was there. But, you know, he's, he's a quality NBA guy who has a coach that's actually willing to invest in him now. You know, we've seen for a long time that Tibbs wasn't willing to play rookies and young guys, and I think that hurt him a lot. Yeah, it should definitely help that Hoiberg's there. Hopefully he'll iron out McDermott, a niche, an offensive niche. He'll be that catch-and-shoot guy or someone who can attack the basket off the dribble. You, you shouldn't see too many pull-ups or you won't see him in the post even if he's playing the four. You pigeonhole him to those two different scoring types, and that should be fine for a guy like him. I don't want to see him at the three much, if at all. I know they might have to do that, because of the way the roster is set up and you want to kind of you know, decongest that lockjam at the four and five spots by playing people at the three like Miritich and McDermott. But he's not going to be able to keep up defensively wherever he plays. He stands a better chance against some power forwards who don't have the same athleticism and speed as small forwards. But he should get extra playing time and be able to carve out a role. And I think offensively, he, he should not only be fine, but he's in a position now where he should be able to thrive. So much of it is about confidence, too. I mean, when you don't play a lot, it's hard to get into a rhythm. And if he gets that opportunity and starts hitting shots at the beginning of the season, I mean, just imagine the scenario when you have Rose and Butler as those dynamic athletic threats, and then you have Dunleavy and McDermott out on the wings. Like, what is a defense going to do about that? You can't leave either of those guys open in the corner. You have to cover the drives. I mean, it's a really good recipe, again, assuming that he gets that confidence. Now, what I'm going to say in response is that I'm going to ask Bailey for his final thoughts on this matter before we go to talking about how many wins we think the Bulls are going to get. Do you have anything to add to what Adam maybe just said? Yeah, I think just to kind of uh, piggyback on what you guys were saying about McDermott, um, I like him a lot offensively, too. I agree that he's probably not cut out to defend opposing threes. Um but on offense, he there's there's parts of his game that remind me a little bit of Antoine Jameson, kind of the little flip shots and stuff that he has around the basket. And I think if he if he gets good at reading screens and slipping to the basket, he can he can catch you know mismatches underneath, and he has some some good footwork in the post. It's not like you want him to start in the post like a traditional big man, but I think he can take advantage of some mismatches at the four, and then obviously stretch it as well with his shooting ability. Now. I think ESPN had the Bulls predicted to match their 50-win total next season to, to, to the number. What do we see for them? I think 50 is probably reasonable, but they're sort of that team. I know we talk a lot about ifs in the Eastern Conference, but they're a different kind of if. They're a team that I can imagine winning 60-62 games and everything broke right. Or I could also see them hitting lower than 50 because of everything that's going on and having a new coach and potentially having some chemistry issues. I think 50 is fair. I don't see them improving much off last season, especially with all the changes. 50-52 seems right for me. I'm going to say 53. And it's not just to one-up you there. It's because I, I like... I'm sick uh, of getting prices right on the show. <laughs> I like a lot of the young pieces there. I think that they were marginalized too much under Thibodeau last year and that they weren't allowed to show the true extent of their potential. 
so I think that that is going to override any potential chemistry issues on a veteran team, and they will slightly improve. So if I if we're going to go prices right, and I don't think they'll hit either of those totals, should I say one win? Because <laughs> it's the clo- it's the closest without going over, right? I know yeah. I don't even need to ask. I'm a I'm a prices right aficionado, um, but my real guess would probably be right around fifty. Um, I have a question. If you're a Price is Right aficionado, how come you don't know how they keep people from Googling prices on their cell phones during airtime? That's fair. And I have you, – you caught me. You called my bluff. I have no answer for that. Um, but, yeah, I'd say probably around 50 wins just with the adjustment to Hoiberg. I, and then, you know, I think talent alone will carry him to 50. So we're pretty much all in agreement that they're not going to win more than – between 50 and 53 games. Does anyone see this? What, what do you have the, your most ideal ceiling? Yeah, you have to leave open the possibility that they win 60. Yeah, that's you know, There's so much say. talent on this roster. I'm not leaving that possibility open if it makes anybody feel better. <laughs> I know I said I could envision it. I just don't see it happening. I think there's going to be too many wins distributed among the East. The only team I envision winning 60 in that conference is Cleveland. I think the Bulls will struggle to hit 55, and I actually don't think they'll get there. I actually think it's like you said – at the start of this little segment where there's like, there's so many teams in the East where everything, if everything clicks right, um, they can suddenly be a lot different team. And I think that's true of the bulls too. So I think like they could peak out at about 60, but I would, you know, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably say somewhere around 50. Well, on that completely diluted note, <laughs> we are going to cut to. Bacon, bacon. Where's the bacon? I smell bacon. 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 Gotta be bacon. Only one thing smells like bacon. That's bacon. All right. So it's actually me uh, with some burnt bacon again, and believe it or not, it's about the jazz again. Shocker! Oh. <laughs> so we uh, we somebody mentioned the ESPN forecast earlier in this episode. So they've started their summer like doldrums of the summer forecast series, um, and they had they asked their panel for the record predictions of the West and the composite. Prediction for the Jazz was 40 and 42, and ninth place in the West behind the Mavericks, who they had at 41 and 41. Um, my issue with that is this Utah played at a 54 win pace after the All Star break last season. Um, they had the best defense in the league after the All Star break, and it wasn't even close. Like, they were five points per 100 possessions better than the Grizzlies on defense uh, after the All Star break. Pretty much every key part of that defense um, is back. Exum hurts, but they still have Gobert, Favors, and Hayward. Um, another note on those three, there were 35 qualified players in the NBA last year who had PERs over 20. Um, the Jazz were – the Spurs, Clippers, Hawks, and Jazz were the only teams that had three players on that list. Um, and all three of those guys are back. That's Hayward, Favors, and Gobert. All of them were under 25 last season. Alec Burks is coming back. They've had a full season under Quinn Snyder, so they'll be used to the offense and the defensive schemes now. Um, so to me, it just seems crazy to think that with all those ingredients, they're only going to improve by two wins. Um, the other thing that's weird about that is assuming that the eighth seed in the West is going to have 41 wins. Um, so, I mean, just all those things together, burning my bacon a little bit. I don't think that's how the bottom half of the West is going to shake out or the bottom yeah, I couple could, teams. Not only do I agree, but I can smell your bacon, which means <laughs> that it is scintillating. 
Plus, we didn't even touch how Dallas is probably a little overprojected at 41 with a yeah, lot of for sure. mismatched parts. Yeah, I mean, like, if Dirk turns back the clock 10 years or so, they might crack 41. <laughs> yeah. we got to save all this for our Dallas podcast, which is coming up. Yeah, that's our next episode. Um, that's going to wrap us up for the Bulls. I'm Andy Bailey, and on Twitter you can find me at Andrew D. Bailey. Adam is also on Twitter at Frommel, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. And Dan Favale is on Twitter, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can also find all three of us at Hardwood Knox. Um, so if you've got any thoughts or questions or anything about the Bulls you want to shoot to us at any of those four handles, we'd love to interact with you. And until next time, this is another episode of the Hardwood Knox. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.